BAM Radio Network. One of the problems, I think, in minority education at the university level is that often people think, well, if a problem involves minority students, then you have minority staff to work on that. I would argue that when we talk about issues of women or minorities, that these are American issues and we need people of all types, both genders, all races, involved. Hello, I'm Dan Dominich. Welcome to WAASA Radio. We're delighted to have you uh, with us today, uh, Freeman. Now, you, you've rightfully uh, been hailed as an innovator in higher ed, and one of the areas where you've taken the lead is in science and technology education, particularly for minority students. Why do you think this is so important? We're going to need an increasing number of professionals in science and engineering in our country. I had the privilege of chairing the National Academy's Committee on Underrepresentation in Math and Science and Engineering just recently, and we found that only 6% of the 24-year-olds in our country hold bachelors in, in those areas. In comparison, in many European nations, it's, it's at least 12%, and in Korea, it's 70%, and much of our work in building the infrastructure of our country in healthcare issues, in issues involving energy, in issues involving defense and intelligence, will require increasing numbers of people in math and science and engineering. And so focusing on these areas will be critical to the future of our country. Now, you frame your uh, sense of urgency about this issue in terms of leadership development and national priorities. Talk to us about those issues. Sure. Everybody knows, particularly since 9-11, that we have major international challenges with regard to defending ourselves and with regard to terrorism and with regard to our relationships with other countries. And while we need to be doing all we can to focus on diplomacy, on the other hand, from a very practical point of view, many places are developing technologically, and that technological development is focused in a number of cases on uh, what we would call terrorism or on attacking our country. And so We in the Baltimore-Washington corridor here at UMBC and other places really do understand just how important places like the National Security Agency and the Department of Defense in general uh, and all the other agencies are to defending us. And what we see is that you've got this cadre of computer scientists and engineers and mathematicians and linguists who are focused on just that, protection of the country. And similarly, when you think about the other major themes in our nation, whether talking about the health disparities in our country and the fact that so many poor people and people of color are not doing well physically and emotionally from health care issues, we know we need people in science-based areas, in medicine, who can work to solve some of those problems. And then finally, with global warming and the energy crisis we face in our country, again, we go right back to science and tech. And so we need to be producing a cadre of young people of all races, men and women, who can attack those problems. Now, how do you create that kind of change in a large uh, institution like the University of uh, Maryland, Baltimore County? Well, it's interesting. You know, we have 13,000 students, of whom 10,000 undergrad. And the critical point is that across this country, Most freshman classes will have a fairly significant number of students interested in science and engineering, and we do at UMBC. The problem is that at most places, those students don't make it. Whenever I ask audiences, American audiences, how many know someone who started off in pre-med or engineering who changed majors within a matter of a year? Most hands go up. So it is a part of a culture right now in our country that while many people may start off 
interested in science and engineering, or a number anyway, that number is reduced substantially within the first year or two. In fact, what we find is that only 20% of blacks and Latinos and only 32% of whites and about 42% of Asian Americans who begin in science and engineering graduate in those areas. But well, we've focused a lot of attention at UMBC on helping students to achieve the goals they set for themselves. That is, making sure that those students who come to us with an interest in becoming engineers or physicians actually succeed in science and engineering. And that means faculty being willing to give more support to students an emphasis on group work, on use of technology, a major emphasis on building community among the students, getting away from any notion of cutthroat competition, but rather having substantive collaboration, and then constant feedback to students, teaching them how to assess their performance. Those strategies have made a big difference on our campus. Now, you talk about the importance of community and education, and uh, you cite courses that use active learning and students working in teams, as you just mentioned, to solve problems. This seems like a huge culture shift in the classroom. Is it working? Oh, yeah, it is working, and it's very exciting. In fact, what we find is that uh, as a result of faculty who've gone through professional development and taken the time to think through how best to excite students about the work, how best to empower students to take ownership of the work rather than simply standing at the front of a classroom and writing on the board. It is amazing in our chemistry discovery center and in our other active learning environments that students are almost laughing and fighting at the same time in groups. You walk into the chemistry discovery center and the first thing someone will say is this doesn't look like chemistry and yet these students are focused on solving problems, asking good questions, discovering theories, arguing with each other, and that each student has a special role in every group. One student is project manager, one student serves as a scribe, another student is a kind of provocateur, somebody else is doing the actual documentation, and they go around constantly throughout the semester having all those roles. And amazingly, we have seen performance improve dramatically while we have actually made the program even more rigorous. What you're talking about, is there a, a transfer of, of that technique to the K-12 system, to our public schools, you think? I think so. We, we are having more and more teachers coming to look at what we're doing in, in our region. And we've gotten several NSF grants that focus on STEM education. And we are focusing on these same techniques. I am convinced that we can use group work to help children K through 12, that we can have kids who are grasping concepts more quickly, serving as tutors, because having a chance to teach someone else how to do something really just strengthens one's own background in that work. Learning how to express ideas clearly is a part of what we talk about with the new Common Core Standard. And so, yes, there's, there's a definite set of implications for K through 12. Now, both of your uh, books talk about helping uh, African-American uh, students succeed, and that's been, I think, also a major part of your uh, work at uh, UMBC. Tell us a little bit about that and, and some of the strategies that you've employed there that have succeeded. Sure. The, the Mile of Scholars program is styled and now has students of all races. We actually accept in the program a number of white students who have an interest in addressing this issue of underrepresentation in math and science. And, and the campus is, an, is a fascinating place. UMBC has students from 150 countries. And here, my colleagues, faculty members of all races, heavily white, of course, 
are, are very engaged in the lives of these minority students. Well, the Meyerhoff program is designed to increase the number of students of color, in particular, who succeed in science. And we've become the leading producer of African-Americans, for example, who go on and complete PhDs and MD-PhDs among predominantly white universities. And the, the reason we've succeeded is that this Meyerhoff program has a set of strategies, as you said, including, again, developing the cohort model so each group of students will work together throughout their time at the university. The first group of students call themselves M1. I didn't want them to call themselves M1s because that's a gun. I said, why don't you call yourselves MS1, my whole scholars one, but they said that was a disease. They'd rather be a weapon than a disease, and I had to accept that. And so we then got up to M16, another gun, and now we're at, I think, M23. So the program has been in, in effect literally for that long. And each cohort takes responsibility for not only itself, but for the group younger than it is. So the sophomores take care of freshmen and the seniors take care of juniors. And there is this sense of responsibility for other people as well as for oneself. There is this sense of empowerment among the students. There is a sense of the power of asking good questions and feeding off of each other and of using strategies to get to know the faculty and of sitting in the front of the classroom rather than in the back, which is what you often see among minority students at predominantly white universities. They're kind of laid back in the back. There's a sense of engagement. And actually, our chemistry discovery center and the active learning environments we have actually come about because of the success we saw with minority students. We're not using that with our white students also. And it has to do with that, again, active engagement, use of technology, building community, setting high expectations, setting clear expectations, strong emphasis on mentoring, great partnerships between faculty and students, faculty really being involved in the work. And as I often say, it takes researchers to produce researchers. These students are also working in labs, and so they get a chance to publish in journals while, while serving as undergraduates. Probably most important, they talk to science all the time. I don't care where you go. People can be in the middle of a party or at a picnic or whatever. You'll hear kids laughing, and often they're laughing about an experiment. So making science and math and engineering a part of their lives makes a big difference. And I would also say the fact that these students tutor inner-city kids. They get to know the challenges of poverty, not only from the perspective of having maybe lived it at one point, but from the perspective of a little kid. And so they are constantly thinking about how they might one day use their skills to support children. Well, we're delighted that uh, you'll be a keynote speaker at our national conference in education in Houston this February. But uh, what will you be talking to us about? It will be education for the 21st century, and it will include everything from this notion of innovation, the challenge we face in our country, given the large numbers of college graduates we'll be seeing from China and India and the, the incredible brain power from around the world. The real question is, given our size, the fact that we only have 300 Americans, how can we ensure that we continue to be one of the leading nations in the world for the good of our country and for the good of the world? And, and that will require understanding the power of education in transforming lives. And, and the big question for Americans is, how do we keep making the progress in educating more children of all races, given particularly the increasing diversity of the American children's or student population. And I will talk about such measures as the Common Core Standards, how we need to help Americans understand the significance of those standards. I'm going to always talk about, about math and having leaders understanding the strong 
importance of mathematics in all of what we do. But most important, I'll talk about leadership and what it means to be an educational leader in the 21st century, in this country and this world at this time when we face so many challenges. Well, uh, Freeman, that, that sounds like an uh, exciting uh, program, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, seeing you there. And I want to thank you uh, so much for uh, joining us on AASA Radio today. You've been listening to WAASA Radio. I'm Dan Dominich. Thank you for listening. This program is produced by Jack Street Media as part of the Affiliate Nanocasting Network. Thanks for listening.